Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Inter-Mike. And I am Tony Stetchane. Welcome to episode 150, Enter the Sandman. Extreme. Extreme? Uh, I guess, yeah, I was going to say exit the Shane Douglas. Off to Never Never Land? Yeah. But is it? I mean, I don't know. That's don't I'm, know. Just, I'm just basing it off of some of the storyline. <laughs> so this was a super card produced by ECW. It would take place on May 13th, 1995 at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with an attendance of 875 people. Well, our numbers are dropping. Not hey. a sellout, guys. Is there a weekend holiday in May? Uh, that's I mean, usually Memorial. the last weekend. Yeah, Memorial's coming up in a couple uh, weeks. Okay. This say, maybe is around like just... graduation time, maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe the maybe some people were just kind of trying to remember. I graduated in May of '95, but I don't remember the date. I think it was like the 18th, maybe. Dropped a little bit, but I'm sure we won't be able to tell by looking at it. No, probably not. But we're still in Philadelphia. <laughs> that we are. So three feet. I'm not even gonna say what deliciousness because I'm looking at this drink and I don't know about it. Matt, maybe skeptical. you'll be surprised. I'm I'm uh, pretty positive on I the am, whole situation, I, but I'm I also admit, I am very scared. Yeah, <laughs> not taking a drink of this. I'm a I'm a, a beer guy, so it's cool. Yeah. So yeah, this is a a beer based drink. I figured with a show called uh, Enter the Sandman, and you know Sandman as your champion, beer would be the option. I looked up the popular cocktails in philadelphia much like i did a couple weeks ago with the beer mosa and on the same list i found this lovely concoction that is perfect for celebrating the sandman and his wife beater ways <laughs> this is called hillbilly gatorade mm. it's pretty simple you take uh, miller high life also known as the champagne of beers and you mix it with some dill pickle juice and barbecue sauce Check. Uh, you Check. can garnish it. The picture that I saw had it garnished with a piece of bacon and a pickle spear. I swung by my friends over at Dunkin' and grabbed some of their snack and maple bacon and whipped this all together. So You know what it smells like? Beer with pickle juice and barbecue sauce? You know what it smells like when you go to a barbecue and you have your white paper plate and then you... Eat ate everything, <laughs> and then once what's the what's left on the plate, like the, the stains and stuff, and then, like you, so if you were to smell the plate, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, before before you threw it away, this kind of smells like that your barbecue plate would taste. Right. I'm excited to drink it. Cheers, y'all. Bottoms up, smoother than I thought. How much pickle juice is it? An ounce and a half. Ounce and a half of pickle juice, a half ounce of barbecue sauce. I can see Matt's eyes water. It's not as bad as you thought, right? I will admit, it does taste exactly like how you described it. <laughs> I hadn't tried it yet, I just smelled it. <laughs> that it literally tastes like pickle juice, barbecue sauce, and a beer. So it's not as bad as I was 
expecting it to be. Not as not as good as the beer mosa. No, definitely. But I finished the beer mosa. Yeah, this is gonna get that uh, this one was sip. The, and yeah, I don't. I don't situation where I started taking a sip of my drink before you two even touched yours. Well, I just <clears> wanted <throat> to get the the reaction on air. Like, beer mosa. <laughs> I just like saw it. I was like, this is orange juice. This is gonna be good. Most of these segments, like me and Michael, usually have our food eaten. Or completely drank before we even start recording. Yeah, oftentimes before I take my first bite. And this time we all kind of like stared at him. Because it's not the prettiest picture by no. any means. And the smell is like literally I was looking at it and I'm just like, I hope I do not puke. Yeah, it, it has the look of, you know, like murky watered down iced tea with floaties. <laughs> yeah, it's not, good. it's not a good look. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the only thing I could think to make it even better, and I just, I guess it's because I grew up watching the movie Cocktail so many times, but all I can think of is putting a, an egg in here oh, and making rough. it, it wouldn't be a red eye, but. You know what, uh, this is better than the bull shot. It yes. Is, it is better than the bull shot. It is better than the bull shot, and it it's better than that fucked up Philly sandwich that we had from that yeah. place that I refuse to ever mention again. Yeah. Not you fill me up cheesesteaks. Those were delicious. Yeah, yeah. This is the, yeah. I was going to call this the beer shot, but it's better <laughs> than a bull shot, so I can't call it a beer shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually not too bad. I mean, I was the kid that grew up drinking it's, pickle it's, juice, so. It's kind of like the uh, hillbilly, like, michelada. Yeah. But it's not like, as good as a michelada. No. I think, <laughs> had I put a little spiced rim around the glass or something, it may have kicked up those needs a lot of vibes but or even more but it's not yeah. it's not bad no it's not the worst thing we've had hillbilly gatorade y'all check it out try one tell me what to think yeah i mean at the very least it's not like you're uh, using some fancy beer yeah i mean if anything you oops you wasted two dollars and fifty cents or mm-hmm. whatever for yeah. a single can of high life oh yeah i think about a dollar <laughs> Well, some, something that happened right around the same time as the show, Friday would hit theaters a couple of weeks earlier. No, nobody going there about 35, 45 minutes. Somebody opened a window. <laughs> this is like my favorite movie when I was in middle school. Granted, the movie had been out for a while, but this may be the movie I've seen the most amount of times because I used to watch it so much when I was in middle school. And I think that it's not only... Such a weird choice for a middle schooler to... <laughs> no. It sounds I don't know. Right, I mean, actually, uh, in I mean, middle your school, parents would let you watch this movie. I guess I should say. Uh, it was probably like more like seventh or eighth grade, but you know, I don't know. I didn't. By that point in time, my parents weren't like super. When I was younger, it's like pretty strict on what I could and couldn't watch. Friday, I think I just like bought the VHS tape with money that I had. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the movie I've seen the most because I watched it so much. And I think that it's a great movie. Not only is it like a good comedy and a good hood comedy or hood movie, I think it's like legitimately just a solid movie. Oh yeah, I think it's oh, I think yeah. it's really good. I mean, it's probably Friday, the, my, we wouldn't have fucking Chris Tucker. It's I mean, probably I don't the think best. We have Chris Tucker anymore, anyways. But we <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have the Chris Tucker that we know or knew. It's probably the best Gary, I guess it's the first Gary F. Gray movie. But Ice Cube is such a movie star for quite a while before he stops being in movies that I want to see. But, like, he just is looks so good on camera. He's got well, such a good his, face, like, such a good scowl. Was this his follow-up to Boys in the Hood? I believe so. And okay. he, I was uh, trying to remember if he, there was anything else he was in before then. He co-wrote this, or at least, I think he co-wrote this with Gary F. Gray. Or at 
whatever. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And it's got but, the the wrestling tie in as well with old Zeus, Tiny AKA Lister, yeah. Tiny Lister, and mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. I highly suggest Friday much but like the sequels. I don't think are necessary, but some they have some moments. Chris Tucker's not neither of them, but this movie I think is a classic, and I've been standing up for it since I was in seventh grade, and oh, I'll yeah. continue to do so. I worked at Blockbuster when this movie came out on video, so it was a uh, a very popular rental, and uh, this was another one. Obviously, we couldn't watch it during working hours, but this was always one of the like inventory selections to have playing in the background, or when we were setting up a new store. Because it was something that everybody had seen so many times that we didn't have to stop and look at the TV. We could just talk along with it as it was going. Yeah, I could. At one point, I could probably have quoted like ninety percent of this. Movie. I mean, you said my favorite line of the entire film, and yeah, like John Witherspoon in this film is, is just, he's so good. He's the word so of good. the day is job, J O B. Ah, yeah. It's been a long time since I've watched it, but yeah. Use Walter. There's so many good lines. Big fan of Friday over here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Enter the Sandman as we get name and data show and screen shown on the f- before we head straight to our first match. Tony Stetson versus Hack Myers. Shot. Shot. Just one. Sorry. Shot. <laughs> Shot. Shot. You gotta keep pumping me. I was like, that's just one shot. Tony sneaks out of the ring and runs around ringside to attack Myers from behind to begin choking him with his ring jacket and sending him into a guardrail. They head into the ring where Stetson keeps up the attack using Hack's studded armbands across the face, hitting a body guillotine across the ropes, when Myers starts to fire back with a low blow to stop the momentum. Hack comes off the second rope with a forearm, charges in with a back elbow, and a second rope fist drop, only for Tony to rake the eyes to regain control. Myers ducks a clothesline and starts firing up with left hands, hitting a body slam before draping Stetson across the bottom rope, allowing Hack to leg drop him from the apron. That's Hack's move now, isn't it? Hill and Sandman seem to be the guys that do it. <laughs> uh, there's, there's something they kind of have in common. They're not particularly athletic. But they can leg drop. They can leg drop, especially any of you. It's like, what's better than a leg drop? Leg drop with the guy's head across the bottom rope. Myers heads up to the top rope, coming off, driving Tony down with a knee drop for the pin and the win. Boom, boom, boom. I love that there's a boring chant at some point, even though the Shaw is in there. I think they were hoping to have that same effect as last time that they were calling boring and then, you know, ended and then all up having of a sudden standing you get a, ovation. Yeah, then all of a sudden you get a, like, you know, a fucking five-star masterpiece. In the five, middle five, of the yeah. ECW arena. Yeah, I don't think Tony Stetson and Hack Myers got it in them. Yeah. You want to kill my interest in a match? Say the name Hack Myers. <laughs> Sha! Sal Buama. <laughs> Sal Buama versus Hack Myers. You couldn't... Conv- you, like, this is... this is. It's a dream team. This is the new... The chance to happen. Honky Tonk Man and Brutus the Barber. Sal Buama, Hack Myers. Same guy. <laughs> <laughs> We then go to our second match, the Oriental Connection of Subo Jinjin and Hiroshi Itakura versus Taz and 911 with Paul E. Dangerously. Na 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 na. Na 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 na. Hey, hey, goodbye. <laughs> They're chanting. They know the Oriental crowd's saying goodbye. 
the Oriental Connection. Taz and 911 are coming out. Taz starts throwing chairs into the ring, while Sign Guy's sign is too much for the network to handle as it is blurred out. Can You can say it. I won't say it completely. Okay. But it does say kill the Q. Oh, okay. Bad word that starts with a Q that okay. I won't say. Uh, I don't think it's a bad word anymore. <laughs> I think it's been reclaimed. I mean, what they're using, using it, it for you. is bad. It's yes. not a bad word. Maybe it was just foretelling of the future. Foreshadowing of the future <laughs> uh-huh. of the problems the world yeah. would have. The cues will Q. take it back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, all, we're all for the cues. We're all for a pro Q. We're pro Q. <laughs> all right, but not Q and non. So, you That's know. what I was going with. That's what I meant there. <laughs> yeah. The problems that the world would have yeah, with the yeah. Q. Uh-huh. A different Q. So the maniac is telling 911 to stay on the floor as he won't have any problem with these guys. And Subo is taken to the mat before being driven down with a pump handle backbreaker. So he tags out only for Hiroshi to run in to receive a T-bone suplex from Taz. The connection tries to team up on the maniac, but he just double belly-to-belly suplexes them. Then he tags in 911, who double choke slams them. 911 then choke slams them each individually before making a double cover for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. Uh, the double belly to belly. Kind of nasty, kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Styles then welcomes us to the show before bringing Axel Rotten down to ringside. Mm-hmm. I love that whenever Joey does mic segments, is just him standing in front of like a turnbuckle on the floor. It's a fun, intimate vibe. Axel comes out with a barbed wire baseball bat in hand, which makes Joey very nervous. Axel then cuts a promo on Florida, saying those fans think they are better, but my feud with my brother is too violent for Floridians, but not Philly, telling Florida to fuck off. So I guess they, ECW had headed down to Florida for some shows, and basically were told they couldn't have the Axel Ian style match down there. They're like, yeah, we can't, uh, we're, we're not... We're not going to let you do that. You can do that on your home turf. Yeah. So Axel then asks the crowd if they want it one more time, which leads us into our third match. Axel Rotten versus Ian Rotten. In a rotten match. Barbed wire weapons <laughs> match. <laughs> Sorry, the joke's so easy. Third time's a charm. <laughs> That's actually the fourth time they've done <laughs> Yeah, sure yeah. is. Ian attacks as Axel was asking the crowd, hitting him with a barbed wire-wrapped chair. And Axel is already bleeding. They head into the ring where more chair shots are delivered before Ian grabs the bat and uses it as well. I love that Axel gets hit in the back of the head and then blades the front of his head. It's very funny because I rewound it because I was like, he hasn't even been hit in the front of his head yet. And uh, it's true, he did not. He got hit in the back of the head, leaned forward, bladed, came up uh, bleeding from his forehead. Good stuff. I mean, it's stuff. Ian tries for a pile driver, only for Axel to back body drop him onto the chair, and then keep up the attack with that chair as well, before tossing him out to the floor. Axel comes off the apron with the bat, using it to rake the arm of Ian, before tossing him out into the crowd, so they can get up close and personal with all the bloodshed. Frying pans and more chair shots around ringside, followed by Ian tossing Axel out into the crowd. Ian stalks after him through the bleachers with barbed wire baseball bat in hand, 
before they make their way back to ringside, where the blood is flying off of them onto the fans. This is their juiciest of match so far, I'd say. Because yeah. uh, they start the match blading, and they go, they play deep here, <laughs> I'd say. They make their way into the ring where Ian sets the bat on top of Axel before coming off the top with a bonsai drop style move. Only for Axel to lift the bat up as Ian comes off. So the barbed wire goes right into his ass. Yeah. I bet he must have had a few pairs of underwear on. I hope. Axel then places the chair <laughs> in the middle of the ring and back suplexes Ian for the pin and, and the, the win. win. Wrestling move for the win, guys. <sighs> Who thunk it? Yeah, at least it... At Does least that mean it was this is the end of it now since they ended it with a wrestling match or wrestling move. move. It might be. Uh, I don't know. I know that it was the most bloody and the quickest, so maybe it's my favorite. There you go. We go to our fourth match: Raven and Stevie Richards with Beulah versus Tommy Dreamer and Mikey Whipwreck. Kick his ass, Mikey! Kick his ass! Clap, clap! <laughs> Before Tommy and Mikey come out, Shane Douglas makes his way to the ring taking the mic, telling the crowd to shut it, and that they think that chairs are more important than fists. That's true, they do think that. The franchise then introduces Bill Alfonso to ECW. I was me doing my invisible whistle. (laughs) A man who will enforce the rules. We haven't seen Bill Alfonso since WrestleMania 9 as he was the ref during the Undertaker-Giant-Gonzalez match. Uh-huh. I didn't realize that. He was, actually, he was actually Giant Gonzalez's uh, personal assistant. Mm. Bill here, Shane brought him in because he went to like the sports commission or whatever. So like, they're like, hey, we're going to shut you down if you don't start wrestling by the rules. Which I love that take as a heel. Absolutely. That's so good. Todd Gordon, the ECW president, comes out and he's like, Bill doesn't work for ECW. That Alfonso mentions that, as you said, the Penn State Athletic Commission had empowered him to close down ECW if he was not able to enforce the rules. Good heel heat, guys. Yeah, I love it. I was so down for this for so many reasons. So as the announcer is introducing everybody, Dreamer never takes his eyes off Raven. Before Mikey and Richards start us off with Stevie shoving off a headlock, causing Whipwreck to run the ropes, making a blind tag, bringing Tommy in, only to toss Stevie out to the floor. Dreamer starts to head out, but Alfonso stops him, which brings a chorus of boos from the crowd. Richards comes back in only to receive a DDT. Tommy then heads over to confront Raven when Mikey runs over to pull him back to reality, telling him to pin Stevie. But Tommy doesn't want that, so he tags in Whipwreck, who hits a springboard splash for a two count. Tommy's on a mission. This isn't about winning the match, it's about winning the war. Dreamer and Mikey with a double arm drag, followed by Tommy dropping Whipwreck down with a leg drop onto Stevie. But again, Dreamer doesn't make a tag, and instead just stares at Raven. Mikey's back in to hit a clothesline and an elbow drop for a near fall. Telegraphs a back body drop, allowing Richards to kick him and tag in Raven. 
Whipwreck ducks a clothesline, goes for an O'Connor roll, only for Raven to hold onto the ropes. So Mikey just leaps back at him for a roll-up for a two-count. Raven then goes for a pop-up powerbomb, but Whipwreck reverses it into a Frankensteiner, which just seems to piss Raven off as he starts pounding on Mikey. Whipwreck with a desperation head scissors, only for Raven to fire back with a clothesline, tag in Stevie for a powerbomb, followed by Raven coming back to help with a double gourd buster, only for a two count, as Alfonso makes sure Richards has returned to his corner before counting. Gotta keep him honest. Also, it's a Frank and Mikey. Raven and Stevie keep up the attack with a drop-toe-hold-elbow-drop combo. Raven follows with a huge knee lift for a near fall. Mikey Raven... sells the shit out of it, which is all he really can do. I mean, not all he can do, but it's what he's, what he's here for. Raven then tries to slam Mikey off the top rope onto the concrete, but Tommy is there to catch him. Oh, Tommy, what a buddy. Mikey can't take concrete. He doesn't have Cactus Jack padding. Back in the ring, a swinging neckbreaker by Raven, and goes for a second one, only for Whipwreck to hold onto the ropes to send Raven flailing to the mat. But Raven then charges at Mikey, which he ducks, sending Raven flying out to the floor, allowing Whipwreck to make the... Hot tag! Mikey leaps over the ropes with a pescado, only for Richards to move Raven out of the way, splatting Whipwreck all over the concrete. No! But Dreamer then leaps over with one of his own, taking out Stevie. Tommy has hold of Richards while Raven has hold of Mikey, and they hit stereo DDTs on the concrete before they both head into the ring. Dreamer starts throwing right hands, sending Raven out to the floor as Alfonso calls for the bell and DQ for using a clenched fist. Yes, I never popped so much for a DQ in my life. It was because ECW, they do what they want. Bill Alfonso's here, said, closed fist? I don't think so. I loved it. I loved it. Post-match, other refs have made their way out to hold Tommy back. When Shane Douglas comes back into the ring to stir the pot, daring Dreamer to hit Alfonso. Cactus Jack then makes his way into the ring, calming down Tommy and telling the franchise that ECW doesn't want him around here anymore. This is our home. Shane explains that he is ECW. And when Jack needed a place to work... He made it happen. Jack continues by telling Douglas to get his boots tightened up because they will have a fight later in the evening. And then the two men begin brawling with thrusters coming down to separate them. I mean, you know, Bill Alfonso is here and he's been hurt. We then go to our fifth match. Eddie Guerrero versus the shooter Dean Malenko for the ECW television title. Fifth match again. In the fifth match, they put it. I guess put it in the center. Magic spot. Magic spot for a magic magic match. Here, here we are. We had a time on the draw last time. What are we gonna get this time? Well, we do get the champion coming out first. Foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Eddie has Art Bar's jacket with him. The Love Machine. Oh yes, Uh, who we watched on. What is the name of that show? Triple A when Worlds Collide. Triple A when Worlds Collide. A a very entertaining show that you should all watch. And we're all, we all got a lot less with uh, Art Bar's early passing based on what we did see of him. Peter Senakia joined Styles for commentary on this match. Did we recognize his voice? 
I did not, but I do know who it is because I watched the whole show. Yes, they do tell us after the match who it is. And I was surprised. And we'll keep it till then. Okay. The two men with tons of chain wrestling to begin the match using arms and legs. And then the tape jumps forward, unfortunately, to see Malenko hit a clothesline in the corner. Followed by Guerrero coming back with a head scissors from the middle rope to send Dean to the floor. We jump again to see Eddie locked in a dragon sleeper by Malenko until Guerrero makes it to the ropes. Dean tosses Eddie out to the floor and keeps up the attack by sending Guerrero into the guardrail. Back in the ring, Malenko hits a tiger bomb, which is a butterfly's power bomb, for a near fall. Eddie is out on his feet as Dean goes to pick him up. So Malenko starts choking him with his boot before hitting a back suplex and a tombstone pile driver for a two count. Guerrero is set on the turnbuckle where he fights off Dean and he tries for the tornado DDT only for Malenko to shove him off to the other side of the ring. He's, he knows once you get the thumb to the eye while Eddie's on the turnbuckle, he's going to try the DDT. That's his thing. Dean knows what's up. Eddie comes back with a head scissors attempt which Dean counters into a powerbomb turning Guerrero over into a sharpshooter but then the two men just start flipping each other over into pinning sequences until they both hit clotheslines for a double KO. We jump ahead in the match again. The two are out on the floor, where Eddie throws Malenko into a guardrail, followed by Guerrero heading up to the top to fly off with a plancha. Another jump ahead as Eddie hits a brain buster inside the ring, and he goes for the frog splash. But Dean gets his knees up, sending Guerrero writhing in pain on the floor. Malenko tosses Eddie back in the ring and he climbs to the top himself, only for Guerrero to meet him there and bring Dean down with a superplex, following up with a springboard hurricanrana for a near fall. Eddie lands on his head and he's now busted open, so Malenko takes advantage with some strikes before attempting to lock on the Texas Cloverleaf, only for Guerrero to counter into an inside cradle for a two count. I, Eddie basically like dumps himself on his own head with the uh, with the uh, head scissors. It's really nasty, and you can tell that Dean even like checks on his checks to see if he can go on. Like when he grabs his arm, it's like you can tell he's just you know making sure the guy's at least here. Eddie takes Dean to the top rope to hit a Frankenstein.er and then we jump ahead in the video once more to see him deliver a Splash Mountain, which is like a Razor's Edge sit-out powerbomb. Yeah, it looks incredible. I was like, Razor's Edge, but better? <laughs> but I like it better? <laughs> to get a near fall. Malenko is to his feet first and starts hammering away on Guerrero's head before rolling up Eddie with a bridging prawn hold for a two count. Jump ahead once more to see Guerrero with multiple roll-ups of his own, all for near falls, before hitting a Bronco Buster in the corner. Eddie drags Dean to the middle of the ring and locks on the figure four when the bell rings. Oh my god. It's another time limit draw. I know, it's a shame that this match was so chopped up, but we got some good stuff. That prawn, there's a lot of cool pinfalls, but that prawn pinfall, where he kind of like is holding... He's like holding both of the guy's arms yeah. down with like his arms. It's 
I don't know how to describe it, but it's very interesting looking at it. It looks like it'd be hard to kick out because <laughs> there's a lot of control. We then get Joey Styles going over the credentials of Peter Cernekia because it's Taz. I know. I did not know that it was going to be Taz. And then we he sends it to a video of suplexes being delivered by the maniac. It's funny. It's like we know Taz is this guy that's pretty over in ECW and... This is like their excuse to be like, you guys know that Taz is also like a professional wrestler that knows stuff like Dean and Eddie does. So uh, we'll have them talk about it and then we'll show you. Surprise. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, yeah, it's a different angle on Taz. They went from him being the Taz maniac to just calling him Taz because obviously that's a better name. And then being like, oh no, like this guy can shoot wrestle, essentially, without saying shoot wrestle. Like the TV birth of Mick Foley just earlier. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting that they, the you know. Behind the maniac. Yeah, they're trying to put some, like, legitimacy on Taz. But it's kind of weird because I don't know that he really needs it. Because <laughs> he's already pretty over with his yeah. crowd. We then go to our sixth match. The Sandman with Woman. And cigarettes. Versus Cactus Jack for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And it feels like a theme for the show, but the champ comes out first. Foreshadowing. I mean, foreshadowing, yeah. So the Sandman hits a baseball slide dropkick to take the action to Jack. Pearl Harbor. Where they begin to brawl around ringside using chairs and the guardrail. Cactus tosses Sandman into the crowd before running and hitting a senton over the guardrail to take them both down. Joey then tells us that the winner of this match has to face the franchise the next match. Wow. No rest period. Wow. All right. They begin to brawl through the crowd before heading back to ringside, where Jack wants to suplex a table. But he can't pick it up, so he settles for a chair and fan participation. After a moment in the ring, Sandman sends Cactus back to the floor, where he comes off the apron with a clothesline followed by whipping Jack into multiple guardrails. Cactus Jack rolls into the ring, so Sandman hits a slingshot dropkick, followed by a vertical suplex, before tossing him from corner to corner. Cactus begins to fight back with right hands, and biting the forehead, before hitting a swinging netbreaker for a two-count. Jack then charges in with a clothesline, only for Sandman to backbody drop him over onto the concrete. Sandman dumps Cactus into the crowd before climbing to the apron where he leaps off only to get his feet caught as he goes over the guardrail. Yeah, he tries to go over the steel and just like, boop. <laughs> it's like, Sandman, you're not that athletic. No, yeah, it's very um, like America's Funniest Home Videos kind of fall. Sandman, sandbag. Mm-hmm. Close enough. The two men head back into the ring where Jack is dropped with a pile driver and Sandman grabs a table flinging it into the ring where it lands on Cactus's ankle, which Jack totally reacts to because that legitimately had to have hurt. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, man. It's like the, the have you ever hit your ankle and it feels like you hit your funny bone, but it's your ankle, so it's worse? <laughs> it's like, that's got to have been what happened. Sandman tosses Jack into the table, but he is able to slow himself to not make an impact and is able to turn to hit a face slam. Cactus then sets the table onto the ropes, 
placing Sandman on it, tipping it over so to send Sandman sliding off onto the concrete. Yeah, he basically uses it as like a wheelbarrow. <laughs> He's like, oh, Sandman on, lift Sandman off. Somebody then tosses a bucket into the ring that is full of barbed wire. So Jack wraps his arm with it before dropping an elbow off the apron onto Sandman. Once they're back in the ring, Cactus keeps up the attack with more barbed wire elbow drops before hitting a double arm DDT for the pin. And no, Shane Douglas runs down to put Sandman's foot on the rope. You rat bastard. What the foot? Jack and the franchise start arguing when woman tosses Sandman the Singapore cane which he uses on Dewey and Noel's former home to knock him down <laughs> for the pin and Noel. <laughs> My gosh, man. Uh, beautiful um, testicle work. Your testicle work is pretty good, but, like, my gosh. What a, crown, what a, what a, what a crowning achievement. I love yes. that you're creative with those, because they always catch me off guard. And that was a very good one. That's the point. I was like, Dewey and Noel. I was like, okay, all right, I get it. Who the fuck is Dewey? Can't believe you named your kid Dewey. What a what a what a terrible name. Is Dewey short for something? Who the fuck is? It's got to be. You can't just name somebody Dewey. <laughs> Dewdrop. <laughs> so we head straight to our seventh match: Sandman with Woman versus the franchise Shane Douglas for the ECW World. Heavyweight Championship. U.S. There's a USA chant, but I'm pretty sure it's just because Sandman's wearing American flag pants. Isn't Sam, Sandman... Is Sandman They're Canadian? They're basically both from Pennsylvania. Okay. I was going to say, is Sandman Canadian? He could be. I wouldn't know. So after introductions and some stalling from Sandman, the match finally gets going with Douglas gaining the early advantage with right hands to the cut forehead of Sandman before exposing the turnbuckle to slam Sandman's head onto it. I love the exposing the turnbuckle, he just pushes the pad down. We get a snapmare, neck snap, and a front suplex across the top rope, which continues the punishment by the franchise, until Sandman yanks Shane through the ropes to the apron, only for Douglas to head-scissor Sandman out to the floor, following out with a biscotto. Pretty impressive to head-scissors the Sandman. Back in the ring, the franchise comes off the top rope with a crossbody, hits a dropkick, a clothesline, and a springboard splash for a two-count. Sandman then tries to create some distance by dumping Douglas out to the floor, following out to deliver some guardrail punishment, including a not-so-rubber-band slam. Ouch. Back in the ring, the franchise does a flare flip out to the apron, where Sandman hits a clothesline, Sending Shane trying to leave through the crowd. I find it hard to believe that the Sandman is... I mean, that's not fair. He's probably watched enough Ric Flair to know to do that. But in my head, Sandman just, like, watches Baywatch in between watching pornography while (laughs) drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. Sandman catches up with Shane, grabbing him and dropping him with a DDT onto a stack of tables. Sandman then suplexes a table onto Douglas before hitting a front suplex onto those tables as well. It's funny that it's just like a stack of not opened tables. It's like, oh, okay. We might need them for in the ring here. Yeah, we could. We could definitely, probably, we'll use them at some point. 
They head back into the ring where Sandman delivers a stalling suplex and a somersault senton from the apron before heading up top, only to miss the flying leg drop as the franchise moves. Shane starts stomping away on Sandman and he tries for the belly-to-belly suplex, only for Sandman to counter into one of his own for the pin and the win. Even though Douglas got his boot on the rope, but Cactus Jack had run down to knock it off. Where was Bill Alfonso? He comes out right now. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad he's here. And says he saw the whole thing and restarts the match. (sighs) Which causes Sandman to threaten to cane Alfonso. But Bill warns him that if he does, it will be the end of ECW. I love that he hasn't had the whistle yet, but in my head I see Bill Alfonso and I want to take the whistle and throw it down his throat. Sandman doesn't seem to care, and he winds up to take the swing, only for Cactus to jump in front of him to take the bullet instead. Sacrifice himself. Sandman then continues to cane Jack before redirecting his attention back to Alfonso, allowing the franchise to roll up Sandman for the pin and the win. And new. But scratch. original ref John Finnegan steals the belt back and gives it to the Sandman before arguing with Alfonso. All of a sudden, Dean Malenko runs into the ring to attack Cactus Jack, who has gotten into Shane's face, followed by Tommy Dreamer coming out as well to make a save. Raven and Stevie Richards then run down to attack Dreamer with a metal fan cover, dropping him with a DDT. Jack finally clears the ring before checking on Tommy. Hmm. A little uh, overbooked. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) A little much. We'll talk about that some. Yeah, we'll get there. So we're going to our eighth match. Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge versus the Pitbulls of number one and number two with Stevie Richards in a double dog collar match. And if Public Enemy wins, they get five minutes with Stevie. Kinky. I mean, Stevie's a pretty good looking guy. Todd Gordon, ECW president, comes out to emphasize that there are no rules in this match. Okay. Yeah, I guess he just wants everybody to know Bill Alfonso isn't here, doesn't care about He's the Pitbulls or the public enemy. It's not going to fuck around with this match for you guys. And somebody <laughs> says that Stevie Richards wants a doggy style, which is a little crude as far as I'm concerned. So number one and Grunge are tethered together, which means number two is with Raku. Number one charges at Johnny and goes over the ropes to be hung momentarily, while Rock and number two start brawling in the corner. Grunge is using the chain to choke number one, while number two uses it to snapmare Rocco. Chain aided punches by number one, while number two is whipping Rock around the ring until Rock reverses to send number two into a corner. Number one and Grunge brawling, start brawling on the outside using the guardrail. While number two goes for a top rope double axe handle, only for Rocco to catch him in the midsection. But when Rock goes for a Frankensteiner, 
Number two just drops him with a power bomb for a two count. Hell yeah, number two. Everybody's brawling away on the floor as Grunge sends number one into a guardrail. Starts using a chair before using it as well on number two, giving his partner a moment of reprieve. Number two is hit with a Coke can and a rolling pin before regaining control with a chair shot that bounces off of Rocco and into the crowd, hitting some fans. I mean, you know, they know what they got into. They know what they were getting into. Rock comes back by ramming number two into a ring post and uses a frying pan, while Johnny springboards off the ropes with a pump splash onto number one, who is set up on a table. You know it's going to be a... ECW show when a frying pan is finally brought out. <laughs> this is the first frying pan of the the show, right? I think so. I think it yeah. is, yeah. It's been a lot of, like, honestly, we have made jokes over the course of the show. The year of the trap hold or year of the whatever Frankenstein. Move. This is the year of the Frankensteiner. They're everywhere, <laughs> in, in, at least in ECW. Like, granted, we watched three shows in a row, but there's Frankensteiners the everywhere. wrestlers are becoming more athletic. That's right. And then there's, and there's, that's the true. The time of the, the Giants is fading. Number two is busted open, but he steals away the frying pan to use it on Rocco before taking them back into the ring where he delivers a powerbomb. Stevie passes a table into the ring where it's balanced across the top rope, followed by Rock and number two climbing on top of it Woo! so that number two can hit a power slam down to the mat. For a two count. It's a really scary, slippery table, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yes, yes it is. Number two and Rocco continue to brawl in the ring while number one is being dismantled by Grunge on the outside. Rock is then given some jumper cables, which he attaches to number two momentarily. To his crotch. Uh Which brings everybody to moan a bit before setting up a table. Inside the ring. It's like they're jumper cables, but they're not hooked up they're to anything. They're not hooked up to anything. So it's like, yeah, I mean, granted, jumper tables are, like, really tight. Like, it's a tight... I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them attached. Yeah, but they're, like, hard. They're really... Yeah, like, they're clamps that would probably draw blood, but, like, it's still very silly. Johnny and number one have returned to the ring, and number one gets the jumper cables attached to him as well. Comedy. Rocco sets number two on the table, and he moonsaults off the top through the table. Which grunge goes for the cover, but only for a near fall. And this is where I believe we get a fuck Sabu chant. Like, we don't need Sabu. We want Rocco Rock. And I'm like, you are all crazy people. Yep. So is Sabu. Yes, but we love his crazy. Drink a little more Billy Gatorade, y'all. <laughs> more brawling ensues as Rock and number two head towards the eagle's nest. With Johnny and number one continuing to brawl in the ring. Rocco climbs up to the balcony, only for number two to pull the chain to bring him flying back towards him, hitting a senton of sorts. The, the four senton? Yeah. I think he was definitely trying to catch him and hit a powerbomb, and he and just didn't catch him. Yeah. Rock continues with chair shots, while Grunge has a jump rope he is using to whip number one inside the ring. Rocco, but still on the eagle's nest, he sets up another table and he drags number two up the ladder to the balcony, only for number two to superplex Rock off through the table, making a cover, but the ref is still in the ring, where number one is being hung over the shoulder of Johnny. It's a mess, guys. 
Number two drags Rocco back to the ring through the crowd. While number one is body slammed, followed by a grunge second rope leg drop for a two count. Uses of a chair by number two, while Johnny is suplexed back into the ring by number one. Everybody's in the ring where number two sets up a table and goes up to the top rope. Where number one lifts Rock up on his shoulders for a super bomb through the table for a near fall. Stevie then climbs up to the apron to hold grunge, allowing the pit bulls to go for a chain-aided clothesline, only for Johnny to move, forcing Richards to take the blow and sending him backwards through a table on the floor. Grunge then rolls up number one for a two count, followed by number two going for a power slam on Johnny, but Rock springboard moonsaults off the ropes onto them, causing Johnny to land on top for a near fall as number one breaks up the pin. And this sounds cleaner than it is, I promise. <laughs> the pit bulls deliver superplexes to both members of Public Enemy in opposite corners, only for Rocco to reverse to land on top for the pin and the win, just as number one is making the cover on Johnny as well. Post-match, number one thinks he has won, and he picks up the belts and begins to celebrate. But the announcement comes saying that Public Enemy are still champions. Why can't the Pitbulls just have the belts? Mm-hmm. Sorry, continue. Just why not? The Pitbulls and Stevie continue the punishment until they are forced out of the ring by Todd Gordon, allowing Public Enemy to have their five minutes with Richards. Stevie actually starts choking Public Enemy, goes for a double Naga Knocker, only for Public Enemy to clothesline him. They hit a huge back body drop, followed by Grunge hitting the slop drop, and Rock heading up top for the drive-by, only for Raven to run down, shoving Rocco off to save his friend. The Pitbulls rejoin the action to beat down on Public Enemy, holding them for Stevie kicks. Raven and Richards then start celebrating in the ring when Tommy runs out to lay out Stevie with a chair. Dreamer and Raven start brawling until Richards blasts Tommy with a chair of his own, allowing Raven to hit a DDT while Beulah climbs to the apron. Dreamer starts to fight back, hitting a low blow on Raven, when all of a sudden, Luna Vachon is in the ring. Oh my god. Yep. We haven't seen Luna since SummerSlam 94. Episode 130. About six-ish months. Luna then attacks Stevie while Tommy cleans house on Raven. When Dreamer notices Beulah still on the apron. So he grabs her to hit a pile driver. (laughs) That stalling pile driver so we can see her thong once again. Of course. Before making out with Vashon as the screen fades to black. Exit light. It's cool to see Luna. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, Make gentlemen. with Luna to make old Beulah jealous, huh? <sighs> different strokes for different folks. So, I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Enter the Sandman? Bill Alfonso. Yes. Mostly Bill Alfonso and Shane Douglas being very good at being Shane Douglas. And Cactus Jack being... Cactus Jack. Always. Yeah, Cactus Jack being the, like, ever-present 
grimy baby face. Ah, not not a terrible show. You know, it's it's kind of fallen in line with the last two, where there's been some shining star moments, but there's been some. Why am I here for this? Eddie and Malenko again was good. I don't think it was as good as last time, but I mean, still part good. Of that, part of that problem is because there was jumps in the action. Yeah, yeah, I think that the um, thing that I've noticed is that these three shows are quick, quick succession. We've covered them. They've happened quickly. They're recorded quickly, and ECW doesn't have like pay-per-views and a TV show or anything like that. So what we're getting is a mix of a weekly show and a pay-per-view show on each show. Yeah. So like some are better than others, but there's still a mix of two different things and it never coalesces to be one or the other. So it's just kind of kind of confusing, but it's never like it's never terrible so it's like well you know what makes it, it more confusing is you have a show called enter the sandman but you have the main event as public enemy versus not the sandman yeah i think they named <laughs> these i think they named these after the fact when they were putting out the vhs yeah. tapes because these aren't like bigger these aren't like uh november like, remembers and still, stuff like, we, like we literally said a championship defense like we said a couple weeks maybe last week a couple weeks ago like you guys were saying ECW shows didn't have taglines. I'm like, technically the name of the show is probably the tagline. Yeah. This is just an ECW house show. This is just the tape they sold. Yeah. For me, show starts off really weak. Like, we got to do the first three matches, and I was just like, what are what is this show? <laughs> what is this show? Like, Whew. But then we hit the inclusion of Bill Alfonso. Yeah, I popped hard. And the rest of the show shines. You mentioned some overbooking. There is a bit of it. A little bit. But when it's done correctly, to build heat, it works for me. Yeah. So, there is some. Don't get me wrong. And usually, I'm the one that's usually complaining the most about overbooking. But this ends in the right place, is what you're saying. It does. It builds the heat on... There was probably a little bit too much Tommy and Raven stuff. Yeah, mixed into the the other stuff. Mixed in, yeah, mixed into the other stuff. Like the Bill Alfonso stuff, overbooking, that was perfect because it builds heat. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The, the Tommy and Raven stuff, that was probably the part that was a little too much. Yeah, like it's still for a purpose, but it kind of is like, like waters down one, it waters down, one waters down the other a little bit. Any other thoughts? I mean, overall, I think that these shows have been mostly solid. I don't know if this is my favorite of them, of like this run of ECW we've done. I definitely not, say two weeks ago the not the Hostile City three way dance three way dance three way dance is probably my favorite. Yeah, I, Hostile City might be my favorite just because it has my favorite match. But three way dance might be the best. Over, show. The overall show, yeah, three probably dance three is the dance. best of the yeah. three, I think. Yeah. But none of them are garbage. Three way dance might no. be the most important for, like we were saying, the the best prizes. Match, the best matches on Hostile City, yeah. But the best overall show is probably three way. Well, Hostile City is probably the worst of the three overall show. Yes, maybe, but none of them are horrendous. No, definitely not. They're all very watchable. They're all very. Pretty, pretty quick. They move. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you.
I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of the show? So what I was holding back was the Sandman Cactus Jack match. We have Shane Douglas run down and put Sandman's boot on the rope. Yeah. Because he knows that he probably has a better chance of beating Sandman than he does Cactus Jack. And then we turn around in the next match and Cactus Jack runs down and knocks Douglas's boot off the ropes. Hilarious. So good. So that Sandman wins. It's just like... Perfect. Perfect, like, symmetry. And it's, that's not even including all the Alfonso stuff yeah, that, yeah. that happened no, that's after like, the fact. that's like perfect, like, southern fucking wrestling exactly. bullshit. Like, that is fucking, like, a mix between, like, Bill Watts and fucking and Memphis. Like, right, like in the, right in the sweet spot of, like, of fuckery. I love the Dean Eddie thing. I just, it's such a shame that it's so chopped up. Because yep. we only get like seven minutes of the match. So yeah. it's really hard to even talk about it because we know it's good. Splash but, Mountain. But we just don't get much of it. Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain was like, so cool. Blew my mind. I didn't even know that's what the that was prawn called. hold. Yeah, prawn hold. I mean, these guys, I imagine this match was just as good or better. But unfortunately, we don't get it all. Which is a shame. So that's... Probably my biggest... And you have the surprising dulcet tones of... Disappointment. Old Mr. Peter... Taz doing commentary? Say his last yeah. Name, yeah. Well, yeah, I, that was... Honestly, that was a big surprise for me because I was like, okay... I, mean, as soon as I didn't they notice the, his voice. As soon as they said the name, I knew who it was. Cause, yeah. yeah. You know I'm, his I'm name. a huge Taz fan. But, like, literally, as soon, as soon as he started returns. talking... Yeah. As soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, you guys... Are gonna totally realize who it is. <laughs> yeah, I should have. I should have been able to recognize it, but I think it was just because he was younger and I didn't expect it. But also, the audio quality is not particularly great. But I know what Taz sounds like. He's very, you know, sounds like a forty-year-old New York man. Like he sounds like a Long Island dad. Yeah. But here he is, Caddy. a little younger and not quite, not quite as thick. How about most disappointing? I don't know. I've had enough. I mean, partially for me, it's, again, I said it before, the fact that the show, I know it's called Enter Sandman, but it's Sandman's first championship defense, in a, in a sense, and he's not the main event. Is yeah. the only reason, I know it's not the only reason, because it's ECW, and they like having, Public Enemy is over with this Philadelphia yeah. crowd, so I know that's why, I know that's fans, why so. they're main eventing. I yeah. get it. But on a in our hearts and minds, public enemy's not that great. Yeah. But if they were to end the show, that Luna Vachon Tommy Kiss at the end is the perfect way to end the show. Absolutely. But it I, I yeah, I agree with you. It shouldn't have been the main event. They should have had the then you also it doesn't mess and it really blur up the whole Bill Alfonso thing as far as we're playing by the rules and then as soon as his segment is done then they come out and say he has no influence over yeah this. that's a, that's also a very very good point because like by the time I got to match eight I was like okay match nine is public enemy and pitbulls again and I was like ah I've got a couple days I will watch this but right now, it's like, I just can't do this right now. Not after what I just saw. I'm going <laughs> to pause. Because I know I got about 25 minutes of a dog collar match. And I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah, that match was... I mean, other than the first three matches, just because 
Those were pointless. They're pointless matches. Like, look, look, I, okay, most disappointing. Those three matches just don't have them on this tape. They're just so fun. I can have all of Eddie and Dean. Yeah, because yeah. they were just like they were legitimately filler that didn't have any like Purpose. big storyline or anything. No, absolutely not. I mean, so it's I always fun to see Taz do his thing, but that it's a squash match. I I, I don't. I don't need to we see know Taz. Taz is over, and plus the Taz commentary on the match yeah. puts him more over. Plus, if we got to hear him talk over the whole match, it would probably only help that case more than a squash match yeah. on the show. So, yeah, I agree with that completely. Anything else disappointing? Uh, like This is just probably the least solid of the this ECW trilogy, but it has some... Big highs. But as far as like top of the card, bottom of the card, might be the weakest consistency. Best performer of the night? Bill Alfonso for me. Because <laughs> like literally everything he did was like shining this like giant light. I mean, I, I popped going, so hard for, yeah. for him. Like I was like, oh, it's Bill Alfonso. And then Bill Alfonso being, he's like, I am going to shut you down if you don't follow the rules. And I'm like, yes, I love rules. <laughs> and I Except was for so, the over the top rope. I mean, yeah, I understand the over the top rope in a previous generation, but yeah, but like generation. in the generations that we were seeing it in, it was like a little. You're holding on too late. It's not. Yeah. It's not 1982, 83, 84. In the territories are dead. We gotta kind of get rid of it. So I I get that, but I like I like my rules. And Bill Alfonso, closed fist when he right called for the bell. For a closed fist, I was like, so excited. Yeah, absolutely. Like that substitute teacher from hell. <laughs> I'm not putting up with this. Any other different choices for best performer, Shane? I mean, we know Eddie and Dean are great, I mean, but we, we didn't know get, that, we didn't we know to that see that, that match much. Is great, but we only got to see yeah. a few yeah. minutes of a long match. But if it was anywhere near as good as the full match we saw, then it's also. Yeah. Like top of the list stuff. We just don't we just don't have it available to us. Yeah, I mean aside from Alfonso, yeah, the, the Eddie Dean match, I'd have to throw Eddie up there just for the uh, but, uh, 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 uh the Splash Mountain. But the big um storylines are great. I do think that they got a little like muddled together yeah. at some point, but I understand where you're coming from and they are both kind of firing I mean, believe me, when when Shane Douglas comes out before the Raven Dreamer tag match, I'm just like, what is he doing? And then they introduce a... And so it starts tying in, but at the same time... It it, could have been a little cleaner. It could have been cleaner. Exactly. How about most surprising? Alfonso showing up is a surprise because I wasn't expecting it. I'd say that and Luna are the biggest surprises. Luna showing up. I don't know how long she sticks around ECW, but I mean, I think she's a good foil for Stevie Richards. Like it's not a, it's not a foil for Beulah. It's a foil for Stevie Richards, Stevie Richards yeah. which I think is an interesting choice. Yeah, I remember I when she when the whole oddities. Nah, we're still years yeah, that's away still from the years away. But yeah, the oddities was probably like 98, 97, 98. Anything else? I survived and, three shows in Philly. There you go. <laughs> Toted Ian and Axel. (laughs) (laughs) Against all odds. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. 
the dusty finish. Salman Hishminikov had held the IWGP Heavyweight Championship for 48 days when Summer Fight Series in Osaka, Japan on July 12, 1989 started. His opponent that night would be Ricky Choshu, born 1951 in Tokiyama, the youngest of four to a Japanese mother and a Korean father. He would earn his way into college on a wrestling scholarship and then onto the South Korean wrestling team at the 1972 Summer Olympics. After college, Choshu would enter the New Japan Pro Wrestling Dojo, followed by making his debut in 1974. He would be sent abroad to gain experience and would become the first traitor heel in a Japanese promotion once he returned, after he would attack Tatsumi Fujinami for not being chosen for the inaugural tournament to crown an IWGP heavyweight champion. By the late 80s, Ricky was a stalwart in the tag division, along with continuing his feud with Fujinami, eventually earning a title shot. He would stay near the top of the card for many years until moving into a back office role by the late 90s. For his accomplishments, Choshu is a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. Ricky would hold the title for the next month when the biggest man in New Japan Pro Wrestling would come calling in Tokyo, Japan to regain his championship. Bum, bum, bum. I'm uh, interested in this Salman Hashminikov guy. I don't even know what he looks like. We saw him one time at Starcade 90, Okay, I believe. They All did right. the tag team tournament. Okay. they were the, He was on the Russian team. All right. But he wasn't the, who's the scary Russian, or the scary guy? No, he's not the big burly the, the, guy. They're like proto-Brock. No. I can't remember what that guy's name is at the moment. Tony Halme? Yeah, Tony Halme. That's yeah. So Hezminikov we have seen, but I do remember that show, because that was a weird show. So, but I'd like to see his New Japan stuff, and um, I'm going to probably he's do some only, YouTube. He's only, the, he's only there for about a year. And I'm just curious. Just out of curiosity. Next week, In Your House number one. I know. it's uh, In Your House was a thing for less than a decade before they started just giving him names, right? Yep. I mean, it was basically only like... And it's back again. A couple of years. years. Yeah. yeah, it was just a couple of years. And it's a, kind of the beginning of monthly pay-per-views. monthly pay-per-views, and these are cheaper and shorter pay-per-views. Yep. But I'm kind of excited for these in-your-house shows. Just cause. Yep. Just cause. Hopefully something different. Music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss 65 by five, White Zombie. Five. Yeah. And Public Enemy won our main event, so we play their music. <laughs> Here comes the Hot Stepper. By Any Kamozi. Aini. Aini. I'm still going to leave it in because I'm not going to change it. <laughs> how, what is the, how, what's the chorus? I don't. I never knew that was the name of the song. Here comes the hot stepper. Yeah, but yeah. what's the chorus? That is the chorus. No, what was the part you sung last? Oh, the na 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 na. Oh, that's what that comes from. Yeah. yeah. That's more famous than any of the rest of the song, right? No, I mean, here comes the hot stepper. Okay, I guess I'll have to listen to it. <laughs> it's playing right now. Oh, okay. Murderer. Bad. Yeah, there we go. That's what I was looking for. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. And if you have any questions or comments or concerns. Maybe some recipes, you know, where where are we going next? Syracuse, New York. New York. Yeah. 
I don't even know where, where's Syracuse, upstate? Upstate, yeah. Okay. Send me some, some New York stuff. Food, beverage, favorite place to... A garbage plate? Yeah. Anything I don't that's know. not related to Philly. Yeah. But you can email us at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. We'll be in your house. Later.